how we doing, guys? We doing okay? All right, marginal levels of excitement uh, here. Uh, hey, uh, we're in this teaching series, as Bonnie Jean mentioned, called Rebuilding. We're asking questions about what does it look like to be a part of the rebuilding work that happens after this last year, happens here in this place, in this house, but then also happens in your neighborhoods in the city. Because you think God calls Jesus followers to both. He calls Jesus' followers to be about the community and serving here in this community and also to be about loving the city, living for the good. So whether you knew it or not, your invitation, you've been given an invitation to be a rebuilder. Here's the definition of what a rebuilder is. It's looking at what the world calls normal, but then looking at that with kingdom eyes and saying, that just hasn't seen the kingdom of God yet. That, that injustice isn't normal. It just hasn't seen God's work yet. And a rebuilder shows up in that spot of the world's brokenness is what the world calls normal and brings God's presence, brings God's power, brings faithfulness, brings hope to those places in the areas of brokenness. We're all invited to be rebuilders. And today we're looking at something essential for every rebuilder. It's called resilience. You might want to look at your neighbor, look him in the eyes, and say, you look resilient this morning. Why don't you take a second? You look resilient this morning. You look resilient this morning. Some of you, you said it by faith. You're like, I'm just saying this. Okay, to start off this, I want to ask uh, some questions, and I need some interaction. Are we good with some interaction all right, it's the later gathering you should be, so if you're not, it's on you. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to raise your hand, and I, I want you to use some of those arm muscles and keep your hand raised if you raise it, because we're just going to look around at the end, okay? Don't worry, it's a safe space. I'm not asking anything incredibly awkward. You're okay. Raise your hand if you've ever heard no when you wanted to hear Yes. Okay, some quick hands. All right. Everyone should be raising their hand. If you're not, you're a liar. Um, so look around for the people that aren't raising their hand. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Raise your hand. Keep them raised if you can. Raise your hand if you've ever battled an illness. Could be small, could be big. If you ever battled an illness. Raise your hand if you've uh, ever prayed for one thing, but then seen another thing happen. Yep. Raise your hand if you've ever been on I-5 between Fife and the Dome between 7 a.m. and 9 p.m. <laughs> yes. All right, look around, look around, look around. Some of us got tired, but I think at one point everybody's hand was raised in this place, which means this. You can put your hands down. Some of you faithful people, you're like, I'm still willing, though, if you want me to. Uh, it means this, that everyone in this room has faced opposition, I-5 probably being high among the opposition. We've all faced opposition. Here's what gets you through opposition. Resilience. Resilience was defined by one writer as how quickly you get up off the ground when you get knocked on the ground. That's what resilience is. So how quickly do you get back up? That's resilience. You see, when we encounter opposition, you have a couple options. You can either let opposition write the script for what your next actions are and let opposition set the terms, or you can let opposition know that you're resilient. You got two options. And here's, let me tell you this, rebuilders need to be resilient. 
Because rebuilders are people that are bringing the hope of the kingdom of God to a place that doesn't necessarily believe that the hope of the kingdom of God will make a difference. And so when the hope of the kingdom of God shows up at a place where people don't really know if the hope of the kingdom of God will make a difference, there will be some type of opposition. Rebuilders need to be resilient. Rebuilders need to be resilient. We're going to be uh, learning about how we can become resilient today. But to start, I want to summarize chapter 3 of Nehemiah. You can open it up to Nehemiah. It's in, the old, it's in the Old Testament, about halfway through the Old Testament. We're not going to be going verse by verse through chapter 3. We're going to be spending a lot of time in chapter 4. But I want to summarize chapter 3. You see, what's happened is Nehemiah has basically sounded the alarm and shouted the vision that, hey, we need to rebuild We need to rebuild. We're at the mercy of any foreign invader coming through and marauding and taking and stealing and all that bad stuff. We need to put some walls around this thing so that we can have a measure of security. And people step into it. They're like, yes. They link arms. They join in. And uh, it's beautiful in chapter 3. I mean, it's tedious to read. Let's be honest. Some passages of the Bible, it's all inspired, but some of it's just tedious to read. Can I get an amen? Can a pastor say that? Well, it's just real. Let's be honest. So Nehemiah chapter 3 is tedious to read because it's like so-and-so went to this place and did so-and-so. But when you step back and you look at what actually chapter 3 is communicating, it's commuting something beautiful. Because young and old, moms and dads, everyone finds a place to do something of significance, the work of rebuilding. Everyone finds a place. Let me just say this. Some of us in here are wondering if there's a place. Chapter three gives us a glimpse that no one has an excuse. Everyone has a role. That's in here, in this place, in this house, and it's out there in the city, in your neighborhood, in your workplaces, in your networks. You have a place, you have a role. And Nehemiah's rebuilding efforts articulate this kingdom reality. Everyone is invited to play a distinct, diverse, and vital role in Jesus' kingdom. Everyone is invited. Just so you know, uh, a little, uh, little secret, a little, little secret here. Um, uh, after I teach, I usually will go in that back corridor and I'll worship during the last song and then sneak out into the lobby so I can say hi to people. Um, and uh, sometimes I'll open the doors and some people are surprised, like, oh, that was the guy that was there, but now he's here. How, is the, how did you do that? And there's a hallway. That's how I did it. Um, <laughs> it's a little secret. Um, so I know, I know, big things. Um, so um, that's how the sausage is made around here. We hallways. Um, so, so uh, last week, I'm, I'm, I kind of go down the hallway, and first gathering, I said, I scurry down the hallway. That sounds like a rat. I, I just walked. That's what it was. I just walked. And then I'm holding the door, and somebody uh, comes out. Uh, 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 a gentleman comes out, and he, he looks at me, and he goes, you know, I've been coming here for a little bit. I've battled cancer six times. I've had challenges, you know, of health issues in my family. Uh, and I came to Christ uh, through Tibetan Buddhism. It didn't have the answers, and so I started interested in Jesus, and all of a sudden I found Jesus, and he said this question that I think all of us have asked, is there a space for me here? And I said, oh my gosh, yes, there's a space, and I brought him right over the info desk. Now sign all these papers. Yeah, don't look at what you're signing. No, I mean, I didn't do that. There's a space for you. Let me just be You know, there's a space for you, there are needs in this community, and there's a space for your gifts. 
Nehemiah 3 gives us a glimpse of that. But then when we step into chapter 4, we learn this, this thing, uh, this thing called, about what this thing is, it's opposition. You see, the second we step into significance, the second we sec- step into serving, the, se- the second we step into like, like telling the world that there's another story beyond what just the headlines and consumerism pushes on us, there is resistance. And we see Nehemiah's team experience opposition. So we read in chapter 4, verses 1 to 2, it says, when Sanballat, he's one of the antagonists, one of the ones that are against what Nehemiah is leading, when Sanballat heard what he, uh, that, he were, uh, that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? He gives what I call the attack on ability. Attack on ability, the message of attack on ability is this. It's, you can't do it. Some of us have experienced this. We step into it, whether it's some experience going into sobriety in some area in a personal life or repairing a relationship or it's managing even our finances or stepping into a leadership role and there's this voice in our head or sometimes it's even outside of us that says you can't do it. You're not qualified. There's not enough space for you. Seats taken. That was Forrest Gump. You can't do it. And then there's another voice that some of us hear as well. And it goes on in verse 3. It says, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what, they are bil- or, what are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down the wall of those stones. What a jerk. I mean, foxes are what, like two, three pounds or something like that? You know, and it's just like, he's like, yeah, no, come on, a fox should knock that down. Give him a little slack. I mean, like, I mean, you know, a donkey has a little bit more girth to it. You know, that would be a way to be nice a little bit and still humiliate them, you know. But this guy's ruthless. So the first is the attack on ability. This is the attack on accomplishment. Some of us have, uh, have, have been really proud about something we've done. Something, you know, whether it's leading something in the church or stepping into a role and we go and we're like, we're proud about it. We're not trying to get, in the, we're not trying to get somebody's praise. We're not trying to get somebody to say, wow, you're amazing. We're not looking for that. We're just proud about it. And the, the thing we hear is, that's not that cool. Why are you so stoked on that? And all of a sudden we start to question it. Opposition comes when we step into significance. Opposition comes when we embrace the identity of a rebuilder. We need to know that. Because if we don't know that, we're not prepared for it. And if we're going to be rebuilders, we need to be resilient. Opposition comes. Now, I mentioned this a little bit before, but we we have to figure out what this opposition is. Lots of times the opposition is internal. In fact, I would often say the opposition is mostly internal, which means that there is something in our head that is telling us we're not able to do it or our accomplishments are meager to sideline us so that we step away from significance. We step away from serving. Sometimes the opposition is internal, but it was once external. 
It was once something that was said in our home or something that was said on the playground or said in our first job or said by a coach and that message that was once external has worked its way into becoming internal and we can't unhear those things that keeps playing the second we try to step into something of significance or serving. I just want to say, like, that's not Jesus. God speaks a different word. Sometimes it's external, it's internal, and then it's spiritual. The enemy grabs a hold of some of that stuff and says, oh, I could play those levers. But here's the heart. Here's the, here's the, here's the root. Opposition wants to steer your attention towards what you lack. Because opposition knows if your attention is on what you lack, you won't step forward into what God is calling you. So what do we do? Where is resilience found? Well, we, we get a glimpse of Nehemiah. Now, it's important to note, uh, Tiffany mentioned last week, Nehemiah is not a perfect guy. He is not Jesus, right? So when we look at Nehemiah's life, it's not like everything is like, oh, and copy that, and do that, and do that, and do that. But what we do see is that Nehemiah responds in the midst of the opposition with wisdom, and he, what does he do? Something simple and profound, he prays. He prays. In the midst of this external, internal opposition, Nehemiah prays, and it reads like this. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Don't you just love that? Some of us are like, I'm going to write that. That's going to be my prayer. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. And then Nehemiah kind of gets a little ruthless too with his prayers. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Okay, Nehemiah. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Here's what I love. Nehemiah, as he's facing opposition, doesn't pray a churchy prayer. You know what a churchy prayer is? It's like, you know, you're kind of like cleaning up your language when you, you know, you're just kind of like, oh, dearest, gracious, you start speaking in KJV, you know, gracious Lord, here I beseech thee, though your mercy is magnified, you know, you start saying words you don't even know what they mean, you know. Uh, Nehemiah's like, this sucks, I don't like those guys, God, straighten it out, I don't know. That's what Nehemiah does. You know, isn't it kind of refreshing? Lots of the Bible is filled with non-churchy prayers. Read some Psalms today. I, Nehemiah knows something. He knows, okay, I'm probably not perfect, but God is, so I'll just pray out what I'm feeling because I can't hide it from him anyways. He kind of knows everything. So I'm just going to pray out what I'm feeling and let him sort it out. That's actually, get this, um, emotionally healthy. Pressing down your emotions and compressing them before God only kind of like breaks yourself apart into, into kind of like this part you're trying to forget about and the part you're just like trying to pretend you are. Transformation happens when you bring your whole self before God and you let him do that work on you. But the other thing is, is and it's the, the biggest, the most important thing is, is that he prays. He prays. Prayer... Again, this might sound simple, but it's profound. Prayer 
is the place where we find the source of strength in the midst of opposition. Any resilient rebuilder knows this. This was the rhythm of civil rights leaders in the, during the civil rights movement where they would pray in the churches and march in the streets, face opposition, go back in the churches, pray in the churches, and go back to march in the streets. This was the rhythm. It's the rhythm of pretty much every Jesus-following single parent where they're stretched and strained to the, the halt and they realize, I need to pray, I need to breathe, I need to catch my breath. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, though not a single parent, John Wesley's mother who had uh, 19 children, nine of them dying during, uh, child, or during, during infancy, would oftentimes bring her apron above her head and go retreat to a place far away room, let the kids do what they're doing for a second because mom needs to pray. This is what rebuilders do. We pray when we face opposition because opposition wants to steer our attention towards what we lack, but when rebuilders pray, we recognize our source of strength. We recognize it's not all about our accomplishments. It's not all about our ability. It's about the one who has no lack and that he's with us. This is the key to resilience. Recently, I um, experienced this myself. I'm so glad I have this muscle memory to get up in the morning and pray. I, I don't do it perfectly. I don't bat a thousand. I don't pray for an hour each morning. I'm not going to even pretend that that's what I do, but I do over years of following Jesus have this muscle memory of getting in the morning together with scripture, my journal, and just praying for a little bit. And in our growth group that I'm a part of, and we meet on Friday mornings, and we're reading through the gospel of Luke, and and, uh, I was praying and reading through the gospel of Luke, and I was in the season, if I was to kind of back up a little bit, I was in the season where, I, I, season, I mean like three or four days, not quite a season. Can you call that a season? At what point can you call something a season? I don't know. It was this long desert season. Three or four days. Uh, where I kind of was having more questions than answers. You ever had a season time where you have more questions than answers? So I had kind of more questions than answers. So what did I do? I got this muscle memory that I, I pray in those times. Well, I just pray every morning, and sometimes, so I'm reading through Luke, and there's this part of Luke, maybe you've read it, where Jesus is like, hey, disciples, we got some crowds. Let's, how about, let's throw a party. Let's feed these people. And the disciples are like, okay, so Jesus, come over here. We've taken some notes on why this is not a, something that will work. Um, remote place, number one. Cute, no, next slide, next slide. Uh, not you, uh, sorry, I'm, uh, this, is Jesus, this is the disciples saying, next slide. Uh, remote place, see how barren the landscape is? No access to food. It's also, not enough money. We don't have the money, Jesus. And, um, and then also, um, well, uh, you know, everybody's already hungry and you know, we should let them go now. And what does Jesus say? Have them sit down. And right in that moment, I felt like God was saying, Brian, I know you have more questions than answers, but look what I can do. Look who I am. Look who I've never stopped being. Would you set your gaze, not on what you lack, but on who I am and just walk into life knowing that? Would you walk into life knowing that? 
Here's what happens when we do that. We can step into the day and meet opposition because we know the secret that opposition doesn't have the last word. Prayer does that. This isn't some type of like you have to go to some type of big prayer school and and this is just like pour your heart out to your imperfect words like Nehemiah did, your imperfect words to God. You don't need to know King James English. You just need to know what's in your heart. Here's this beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture that Pastor John, not the one on our staff, the one in the Bible, uh, wrote to his church in Ephesus. 1 John 3.20. He says, If our hearts condemn us, if the internal criticism mounts up to such a level that it's demobilizing, that it feels impossible to go forward into serving, whether in the church or loving our neighbors or working towards repair in our home or working towards personal recovery, if our hearts condemn us, if the internal uh, criticism says you're not strong enough, you're unable, your accomplishments are feeble, you should give up. If our hearts condemn us, what does it say? We know that God is greater than our hearts. We know that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Come on, speak that to the opposition. Speak that to the criticism. Next verse, in verse 6, it says, so what did we do? Nehemiah prays, what did they do? So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked what? With all of their heart. The Hebrew understanding of the word heart is the center of your being. One translator, uh, Bible scholar, calls it the control center of your life. These guys, they, they, they took the control center of their life and, and they used all of their energy to, to rebuild the wall. They didn't let the criticism and the opposition have the last word. They prayed, they focused their attention on the source of strength and they worked with all of their heart. Moms and kids, dads and young ones and senior citizens, those skilled and those unskilled, they all were about it. And Greg, I mean, things happened. The wall got a little taller. San Bollett probably couldn't say, well, I guess a fox would break. He probably was like, well, I guess actually a fox would do fine. It wouldn't break it at all. Shoot, you know. But, but, but here's the reality. Here's like this dose of realism. So wouldn't it be nice if like we had this easy formula that we could impl- and, you know, use in, throughout our life where it's like, okay, uh, rebuild our identity, face opposition, okay, pray, work, done, great, all right, now we're, uh, we're good. But no, what happens is when, when we step forward and press against opposition, when we overcome opposition, what does opposition do? What does opposition do? Opposition doesn't bow down, it doubles back. Opposition doesn't say, well, I, well, I guess we tried. Now we'll go home and, and retire and whatever. You know, like opposition says, I'm going to try another path. I'm going to go another way. I'm going to bring my aggressiveness up a little bit. So we begin verse 7. It says, um, when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. 
They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet his threat. And meanwhile, the people in Judah the strength of the, said the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild. Also, our enemies said before they know it or see us, I'm trying to speak in a malevolent voice, Maybe you just go like this or something like that. We will be right there among them and, they, and, they will kill, and we will kill them and put their end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they'll attack us. Like, here's this thing that we have to, like, when we encounter opposition, when we overcome opposition, some of us need to expect that. Some of us are trying to step forward right now towards sobriety in some, some, some area. We need to be prepared to, for that opposition. The internal, the external, whatever it is. Some of us are trying to step towards that new job that, that, or embrace or to step into the role that has already been offered to us. And there's self-doubt. Can I, can I even do it? Some of us are thinking, I, I mean, I don't know if that relationship can ever be repaired. Or some of us have seen open doors and breakthroughs in a relationship, and, and, but we need to know that there might be opposition ahead, too. So how do we prepare for it? How do we do it? Rebuilders need resilience because the, there's, or the rebuilders will always counter opposition. So Nehemiah responds, and in verse 16, it says, from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall, and those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon with the other. Got him at, I mean, that's sick. That's just awesome. They're like shoveling, sword shoveling, you know. I don't even know how you do that. I feel like a movie needs to be made. Just so I can understand. Um, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. So Nehemiah is just saying that he's developed a plan to protect the people and assure the work continued to happen. This is this kind of identity, I would say, is that you know, like we have to have a shovel and spear approach to life. The shovel is the work, right? We have to hold uh, one hand on the work that God has called us to do. I want to be really clear. That work involves your life out there, in your neighborhood, with the people that God has placed in your life for you to love. Here's this kind of, this truth that you need to just settle on you. Only, only you can love the people in your life in the way that God has, wants them to know that love. Only God's placed you there for a reason. There's work for you to do. There's work for you to do. Is there opposition? Yes, but the work is more important than the opposition. And then the other is the spear. How do you engage with the opposition when it comes? Well, we know prayer. We set our eyes on what is greater than the opposition. And we have to have this approach to life that has a shovel in one hand and a spear in the other. That knows that opposition is coming, but we're prepared for it. 
Because what God has called us to do is more important than, than anything else, and God is empowering us to accomplish whatever he's called us to do. Shovel, spear. Shovel, spear. Months ago, I was, uh, band, you can come up at this point. Months ago, I was in a, in a meeting with a bunch of pastors. Um, we uh, are talking about like what it looks like to have this kingdom-minded racial reconciliation. And so there's people from different ethnicities, there's people from different neighborhoods, there's uh, people from all different backgrounds, and we're all like praying and talking and learning from each other, and it's a beautiful thing. And one of the times that we were meeting, uh, there was uh, this kind of conversation that sprawled out beyond the topic of our group into kind of just how the church was being construed on the news and how it broke our hearts and how we wanted desperately people that were hearing stuff about how Christians did blah, blah, blah to see what we were talking about and see the heart that was happening. And we were asking questions about, how, like, how can we let people know that these, th- this, these conversations and this heart and this desire to learn and to embody the kingdom and image the kingdom is, like, actually also true? And how can we also continue to do the work. It was this dynamic conversation and at one point someone said, you know, I told my kids, I, told, I looked in my children's eyes and I said, the church that you lead will be better. The church that you lead will be healthier. And this is a person that's already trying. He's not, he's, he's trying to do everything he can because uh, the church that you lead will be a stronger, more emotionally healthy, loving, justice and Jesus-centered, robust church that where good things and healing happens, that, that will happen. And at first, I have to admit, I was a little bit like, well, on what grounds can you assure them of this? But then he beat me to the chase. He said, I tell them it'll happen, that that'll be the church that they inherit. Because I'm going to do the work. Because I'm going to do the work. Because I'm going to say, I'm going to figure out how the scriptures and the kingdom of God intersect with these real painful realities that people are experiencing in my neighborhood, in my city, around the world. I'm not going to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. And I'm not going to say, well, I can just turn my blind eye to it. I'm not going to say, well, it's not a spiritual issue, so I can't work on behalf of it. I'm going to have my eyes open, and I'm going to do the work. I'm going to become emotionally healthy. I'm going to commit my life to Jesus. I'm going to put myself under the authority of Scripture. I'm going to give sacrificially. I'm going to serve with all of my heart. I'm going to commit my life to prayer. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to do the work. Anchor, would you grab a shovel and grab a spear? Would you grab a shovel and grab a spear? Would you embrace the identity of a rebuilder? Here's the good news. Is that the rebuilding work that you're called to doesn't all depend on you. Yeah, you're going to have to work with all your heart. But there's a rebuilding work that God is doing in you right now. There's a rebuilding work that God is doing in you right now. You're his canvas that he's making art with. You're his clay that he's shaping into something beautiful. It's happening. And that's what we're going to sing about right now. So if you'd stand, I want to pray over you. You might extend your hand saying, God, I need strength. 
Help me to turn my eyes away from what I lack towards you. Spirit of God, Spirit of God, we acknowledge that you are real. Would you come in this place? We say yes to your way. We relinquish what keeps us from you. We repent of our sin. We cry out for your, word, your power. Would you make us the church that looks like Jesus? Would you cause us to work with all of our heart so that your kingdom shows up as much as it can on earth as it is in heaven? And would you remind us that you have not stopped working in us? We pray these things in your name.